Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On today's program, we conclude the conversation between activist scholars Sarah Haley and Romarilyn Rolston about the conditions for women in California's state prisons and forced labour in fighting California's fires. So we have all of these different ways of supporting folks inside and outside mm-hmm. through the organization. So that when we come home, you know, we don't have to perform. We can live. Mm-hmm. We can be ourselves, our authentic selves. We can actually become ourselves mm-hmm. instead of constantly reinventing ourselves through, mm-hmm. you know, the performance of survival mm-hmm. inside of a cage. Mm-hmm. Um CCWP has been that for me and for so many women. And now that we've expanded across the state to have two chapters, one in LA and in the Bay Area, right? where we can now, you know, not only support folks inside, but when folks come home, there's ways that folks can be employed, mm-hmm. can still do movement work, and then still get back mm-hmm. to the folks that they left in the communities and behind the walls. So it's it's been really a saving grace for me. Mm-hmm. So many of my friends have come home, but still so many of them are still there. And so to be out here fighting the good fight, fighting all of those fires, right. which I think is indicative of all of those, uh, those policies that were created in the 90s and early 2000s on, right. you know, all of that tough on crime crap. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. We've got to put out all of those fires, right? You know, so that we can, you know, create something more, more beautiful for our folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that you know the fire extinguishment is part of that creation. That in the doing, in the making of, you know, abolitionist organizing, um, which is putting out fires, as you say, it's part of that, also that building work. And that's hard to balance. You know, I think it's hard when you talk about those repeated performances, I feel like the fire of rage inside me. Like I just will not, um, I will not convey <laughs> like my desire toward, you know, of what might happen to the members of a parole board or all those judges, right? Got all of those people who are part of the state who are passing judgment constantly. And again, part of the disappearance of what we think of as the violence of incarceration. It's not just the physical brutality that happens. It is that emotional taxation, um, that exhaustion, which of course has a psychic and bodily toll. Um, You know, but it, it is always something that in particular feminist, Black feminist, women of color feminist organizing has been able to balance so gracefully is the relationship between that kind of fire and rage and the affection and intimacy of organizing. I recall, you know, um, being at panels with you and Elisa Bieria and other folks talking about the intimacy of organizing. Um, and so I'm trying to lean into that, but quite honestly, Romarilyn, you know, this happens a lot when we talk. It's just hard to get past 
the rage in particular of the experience of the repetition of that performance. And, and it's such a range of performances, right? So you're training, you know, I say you, but I mean, one is training someone to fight fire. So that's a performance of strength. And then you have to go to a performance of vulnerability. And then it's a performance of stoicism. And it's like trying to capture that perfect subject right? You're trying to be a perfect subject before the law. And people think of that in terms of a trial, right? But, you know, what you always teach us is that that is part of the sentence. That is a years long cultivated performance that you are required to do for any hopes of getting out, right? In a timely manner, particularly if you're sentenced to long term. Um, yeah. Your freedom is contingent upon you performing well. And if you do not perform well, then most times you will not get out. You will die in prison. It will kill you. But so, you also um, not get out performing well every day, right? Like it's, it's a gamble or... Um, it is a gamble. So I'm just struck by, you know, performing well, not for the guarantee of getting out, but for the hope of getting out, right? Exactly. And and also, as a, I think there's, there's something really radical about being able to play all of these roles, too, mm. for your own benefit. Mm. No, because we're not meant to survive the system. Mm -hmm. And so in order to survive it, not just survive it, maybe even thrive within it. Mm -hmm. For me to be able to do the organizing work that I was able to do inside, for me to build organizations, create programs, train women, I had to perform in a <laughs> whole lot of ways so that I could have access to resources so that I could then give them to other women. And so, you know, it's it's yeah. some of that too. Well, can I ask you like a theoretical question? Yes. Uh, it is, I mean, it's, it's I, I understand um, the magnitude of that resource building and of that, organizing and of that relation and world building inside. And I'm wondering still, despite the magnitude of that being so beautiful and clear, whether um, or how you think about that as thriving versus surviving inside. In other words, I'm just struck by the language of being able to thrive inside mm -hmm. prison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know yeah, particular ideas about that and people have very different ways of describing um what life what life is how they would characterize that yeah and, and what i mean by thriving is if i wanted something i could get it mm, okay uh -huh. i could go to administration the warden associate wardens captains lieutenants sponsors and say we need x y and z right okay and we could get it. Mm -hmm. You know, we were able to build 
the African-American Women Prisoners Association. We had a book club. Mm -hmm. We had um, we, we had um, dances. We had Juneteenth celebrations, Black Kwanzaa. We brought in. So that's what I mean by thriving. There wasn't any resistance. There wasn't any punishment. There wasn't anything withheld. So we were able to then create all of the things that we wanted to create for ourselves and for others. Because at that time, we had no parole policies in California. None mm -hmm. of us were going. Mm -hmm. Every governor that had passed through here since Duke Majin had said, the only way you're going to leave prison is in a pine box. So mm -hmm. we had to dig inside of ourselves and say, okay, how are we going to live here? How are we going to survive this? And so that performance was not only for the benefit of, our, of ourselves, but for our sisterhood, for our organizations, and for us to have access to all of these resources and things that would make our lives better. If we were going to leave in a pine box, we're going to leave, leave this world the way we want it to go out. Right. And so the professor, the pressures of the performance changes with the possibility of leaving, right? When parole is instituted. In exactly. And, and when that door opened through the Lawrence case mm -hmm. in 2007, when the California Supreme Court said, you just can't keep denying people parole because of the, the crime, because that's never going to change. Mm -hmm. Then we, we were able to then start to resist more and push mm -hmm. back more because we knew, we knew mm -hmm. we had done all that we could do. Right. And freedom was going to eventually be guaranteed to us mm -hmm. because now the California Supreme Court said we just they just can't hold us. Mm -hmm. and, in captivity because they can't. Mm -hmm. And after that, you know, things did change quite a bit inside. We weren't performing as much. Hmm. We weren't, you know, um, even dependent anymore on outside resources and and things being brought in to to pacify us. Hmm. A lot of us stopped you know, singing and dancing, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. And started to think about our futures and start to plan for it. Right. I know I did. Right. Right. And so in now contacting the outside world and being more engaged in what's happening out there and planning for a future, mm -hmm. you know, we then you're able to see the prison for what it really is, mm -hmm. you know, and once you see it for what it really is, then you have to dismantle it. Well, I always think about the way you talk about um, sociality inside and life inside as um, being particularly deep because of this, of the way that you are able to theorize thriving which you define as being able to get like the resources that you need and sometimes even the resources that you want and the need for abolition 
In other words, abolition is not only necessary because things are 1000% deplorable to the point of intolerability all the, all the time inside, right? Like it's always violent, it's always captivity, it's always um, brutal, right? But there are those contradictions inside that don't obviate or alleviate the need for the entire system to end, right? I don't know about that. <laughs> to end the whole system, you know, I it's it's hard because now I'm free. I've been home 12 years today, 12 years. And when I think about those 23 years I spent inside, the first five was just trying to figure out, yeah, you know, what this is. Mm -hmm and building relationships. Yeah. And then there came this period of time where, you know, okay, I'm stuck here. I had to really buy into it after the appeals ended. Mm -hmm. and, and so as I start to mature and accept mm -hmm. certain things about my condition, mm -hmm. um, my perspective changed. Mm -hmm. And as I started to get older and I learned more, my perspective continued to change and change. And now that I've been home, like I said, you know, for 12 years, when I look back at that time mm -hmm. and how I survived it, I'm looking for how I survived it. You know, mm -hmm. what, what, what did I do? Why yeah. did I do what I did? And, and I'm trying to articulate that Mm -hmm. um, in my own mind. And, and I ask myself questions sometimes, why did I do the things that I did? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't even have an answer for that. So when you ask me questions, a lot of times, it's the first time I've ever thought about it, you know, and my response to you often, it, you get me to thinking a lot about need to thinking a lot <laughs> uh, it's mutual and you know when you ask me these kinds of questions i'm always just i'm in awe that i am still here yes yes you know and and quite frankly um don't understand how i even No. made it help sometimes and and that's yeah so when i talk about performance and when i talk about thriving when i talk about you know labor and building community and love and resistance it it was all of those things yes at different different points mm -hmm. my incarceration wait so is that the hesitance to agree about the whole system ending? Because I know you to be um, identified politically as an abolitionist. But then, when I, but then when we start talking about certain forms of relation inside, I feel like maybe it feels, you know, thinking, thinking about fire, violent to extinguish that. Like, how can 
that intimacy grow or what would we need to build that intimacy outside of conditions of captivity? It's a particular kind of intimacy that is only there because of the conditions. And so it just strikes me, particularly the way that you talk about um, experiences, relationships, organizing, that sometimes when we talk about, well, we we'll just burn the whole thing down, right? We're not thinking about that stuff, all that stuff. But I also, but I don't know if that's what you kind of meant when you were like, wait, 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 I'm not sure about ending the whole thing. I am sure about abolishing prisons. Oh, okay. without a doubt. Okay. <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. What I've experienced and heard from so many people, and I push back against it when I hear it. Yeah. Prison saved my life. Prison saved my life. Prison yeah. saved my life. Yeah. And I and I tell them publicly a lot of times and I, I, I sometimes embarrass people. No, you saved your life. The prison did not do anything for you. You did it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, and even in relationship to myself and, 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 and what I, I didn't do a lot. I did what I could do, but it was the people around me. And it wasn't just my peers, mm -hmm. there were volunteers that came in mm -hmm. that contributed to that. Mm -hmm. There were there were some correctional staff that contribute to that. Mm -hmm. So it's there's tension there that yeah exists because it 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 just does. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um yeah yeah i mean I, I cringe when i hear people say the prison saved me but i get it right and i try to introduce them to another way of looking at it because it wasn't the prison that saved you you would just happen to be in the prison when you saved yourself mm -hmm. i started doing things differently um but yeah it's you know, maybe it's old age. <laughs> you know, when you old. Start, you know, you maybe you just start to you just start to think as each year goes by, I'm I I, I just I don't know. I don't know. I just start to think about other perspectives. Yeah. You know, and I and I want to honor other perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah. I You're mellowing we, out, Romerilyn. Yeah, we've we've gone down an, uh, a, another path. That's why I say, you know, I am mellowing out. I was some days I'm I'm a little crazy and radical. You know, I still wear my revolutionary hat though, but um it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, I've never heard anyone speak more powerfully than you about those contradictions, actually, of like what it means to think in a revolutionary way about abolition while thinking about 
people and and questions of emotion and questions of strength and desire and kind of resilience, but in this way that is not um, that is about kind of the decisions people make. In other words, I think what's particularly powerful about the ways you often speak about abolition is that you honor kind of individual capacity in this way that doesn't deny structural violence. And that is something that is hard for a lot of people to do. And it is also something that you do so distinctively, you know? Um, and and it's, I know it means so much to so many people who are struggling to make sense of those tensions and contradictions. Like, how could I have succeeded? How can I think of myself as someone just not defined by precarity? someone who has created possibilities for this world, someone who has created possibilities for life while also saying no more, none of this should ever happen again, you know? Yeah, it shouldn't, <laughs> but it does and it will. Right. And I may live to see the end of it, this system, and I may not live to see. Mm -hmm the end of the prison system. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is where we are. You know, we're working two ends of the spectrum to, to try to get rid of something that I think continues to consume our communities. Mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, we have to support those inside because they are our community. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, mm -hmm. it's crazy making. Um, yeah. So, it, but, but that's, I think, what keeps the fire burning too. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we see beauty in that fire. That's why we gaze at it so long sometimes. That's why people get, you know, um, when they look at fire, they just, it's like looking at water. You just, mm -hmm. It's, it's so tranquil, you know, you just get sucked into it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's violent, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it will consume you and kill you and everything in its path. Right. It's that destructive, but it's also that beautiful, somewhat like human beings, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But then there's the human spirit. Right. That regardless of the conditions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if we just focus on that, you know, the human spirit, regardless of the conditions, then I think we're 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 called to a higher calling to mm -hmm. do more, mm -hmm. to be more, to give more. That was the conclusion of the conversation between activist scholars Sarah Haley and Romarilyn Rolston about forced labour in the Californian carceral state, specifically in relation to women's prisoners, labour and fighting the Californian fires. And that's all we've got time for today. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia.
Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.